Okay, good afternoon, everyone, and welcome back to another edition of Tech Uncensored. My name is Sam Hussein. Today, we're going to talk about financial modeling. Sometimes this is a daunting task for startups. And one of the questions we have is like, why are they necessary? How do I build one? What should it include? So for these and many other answers, I've got Jeff Simonette, who is uh, the entrepreneur resident residence at the Altitude Center, but he is he has a long history and track record in startups as a founder, investor, and a, as an advisor. He was formerly one of the founders of Green Sky Capital, and he's currently the president of Pinelands Capital. Jeff, thank you for taking the time to join us. Pleasure. Thanks, Sam. Looking forward to it. So why don't we just start off? I mean, do all the startups need financial models? Is the model just for investors? Well, I'm a numbers guy primarily, so I'm a little biased in this question. I like to boil down difficult problems and projects into an equation if I can. So for me, it's a non-starity. You got to have a financial model. Technically, the answer is no, since they're built with financial models, but I would look at it akin to building a house without architectural drawings. Can you do it? Of course. Could it turn out successful? Yes, but there's likely a lot more chance of running out of money, maybe not building a great foundation, maybe forgetting to leave rent for the plumbing, maybe the whole thing collapses. The biggest investor, and this is what I tell entrepreneurs a lot, the biggest investor in the company of time and of reputation and probably of money is the entrepreneur, especially if it's early stage. So the financial model is really a tool for them. Forget about it being for investors. They need these tools to run their business, I believe. And why not? It's not that difficult to build something and update it. It will give you a huge edge in understanding your business. And then when the time comes to find an investor, or maybe it's even just a loan from a or it could in some cases even be a partner that you're bringing on. I mean, you need some basis and numbers to, to be able to talk to them. And finally, I'll say, I've started a number of companies and I had what I thought were great ideas. And for me, I always start with a financial model and I put them down in a spreadsheet with all the work to think about what does this look like? And then rethought it and said, oh, maybe this isn't a great idea. It takes too much time. It takes too much resources. Something I might not have recognized before. So I say everybody should definitely do it if they haven't already when going out. Okay. So then how do, uh, and I like the fact that it is a foundational thing that you need to do. I'm full in agreement of this as well. I'm also a numbers person. But how do founders whose skill set is not in finance tackle building a financial model? I mean, I've seen financial models where, let's say it's a tech founder who's got a complicated software, and then all of a sudden their financial model is also complicated and hard to understand. And then some are just too simple. So what's the I guess, the best approach to this? Well, first, I think every founder needs to hand or get some financial human. I mean, as you point out, quite often they're scientists or innovators that have specific deep knowledge in their technology. And that's great. And that's why they built it. But now they're building a business. I mean, whether they bring in investors or not, they want that business to be successful. They want to build value. They want to hire people. They need to have some financial acumen. They need to get that. They don't have to be an accountant. They don't have to be an expert. By the way, I'm not an accountant. I do lots of financial work. 
So do they need to have all of those skills? No. Is there lots of places to get them? Yes. And there's plenty of resources in the course on the internet. There's lots of sample templates for financial modeling. There's lots of accelerators like Altitude Accelerator, which are here to offer that kind of help. You can hire if you have the capital of a person to build it for you or a fractional CFO. Your accountant, and most companies have some kind of account, at least at the end of the year, probably has the knowledge to guide you through this kind of thing. So you need to learn a certain amount, not just in financial modeling, but of course, as soon as you're building a business, you need to have a small knowledge of a lot of but there are a ton of resources out there that help the long one. So I guess that really answers our next question in a way, but how do pre-revenue startups build a model? How do you validate that model? Is I guess I'm getting at is that when you start to build that financial model, you can be, could be large numbers, small numbers, but how do you validate it? Yeah, I think the, how do they do it is you're right. It's not different in the answer, acquire or hire those resources as necessary. I don't look at this any differently for pre-revenue. In fact, a lot of the companies I work with are pre-revenue. And I would say it's almost more important at that stage. As mentioned, I come up with some great ideas, I thought, and even before doing anything, put down the financial model. And not, it's not just me picking some random numbers on a spreadsheet. It forces you to do the research. And let's be honest, if you're going to start a business, probably already have a great idea. You probably have already some idea that you can sell this product or service. You probably already have an idea of how much you can sell it for or why it might be profitable. You wouldn't go ahead unless you had some of those things that were going to make money from this idea. You know a lot already, you'd be surprised. Really, this is just the discipline to put it down over a timeline in a spreadsheet and then go and actually evaluate your assumptions at least as a starting point, by talking to other people, by doing research, by talking to customers, by talking to partners, and seeing when you put it all down, what actually does this show me? And can I now adjust? It doesn't show me something that's very compelling. So even at the pre-revenue stage, the, the effort is not much different. It's extremely important. It forces you to do your homework. And it is something that when you start off on a monthly basis, if you want to look at it, you're probably going to be far off predicted. That's okay. You'll learn something. You change your predictions, keep getting closer to reality over time. And then you probably make a pivot along the way and back it to something else. But it gives you some basis for measuring what you're doing and setting your direction and evaluating where you're going. Cause so that's interesting. So I like that, that you keep validating the numbers as you go along and you make changes. Is it better to be start off being conservative in your numbers or is I've seen both and I'm sure you have too, is where there's conservative numbers and maybe they're under reporting those numbers or they go to another extreme. And what's the purpose of that? Is it to get a better valuation and all these things? So, you know, yeah, that's a good question. And I grapple with that all the time. There's not a right or wrong answer necessarily. I like to look at it as being optimistic, but realistic, call it opto-realistic. <laughs> and why do I say that? Well, first of all, as mentioned, the financial model is primarily initially for your use around the company and will continue to be so. You might be using it to attract investors and other things, but you are building something to evaluate your own business. There's no point in lying to yourself. 
because you, your cash position, you're looking at several months ahead, might be reliant on relying on your revenue generation. And if you way over predicted the revenue generation, then you're probably not going to notice that you're going to run out of cash way sooner than you thought you would have. That said, because it becomes a tool that you for lots of things, like setting people's compensation plans, deciding when to hire people, your marketing budget, et cetera, you need to be somewhat optimistic because these numbers do permeate throughout your company for other reasons. You may just be sharing the financial model with your company or pieces of it, and you don't want to really underestimate what you can do and always overachieve because you want people to be pushed to achieve things. So. It's, it needs to be optimistic, but realistic. And I would say when you get to the point of you're going to show it to investors, the one mistake I see people make is there's usually a fairly large period of time between when an investor first looks at your financial model, might actually even be writing your deck first time to see you, you know, here's our projections, yeah. and when they actually make an investment. And if you were wildly wrong in that six month period of time or four month period of time, well, there's a lot less you can see you're going to get the investment. However, if you eat those numbers the whole time, that looks fantastic. Can't be, it can't be a pessimistic number. It's got to be optimistic, but it's got to be potentially achievable. And what, I mean, do you, when you advise companies, do you tell them to create multiple scenarios or do you just say stick to one? Like, should I create a best case scenario, worst case scenario, and then like in the middle, optimistic scenario or achievable scenario? Yeah, I mean, part of the reason we're having a model is to be able to test scenarios. What happens if we change our pricing? What happens if we can significantly improve our customer churn? What happens, and here's a good one that people wouldn't necessarily notice unless they had a model. What happens if we develop our customers, this is especially relevant for SaaS software companies, pay a year in advance? It doesn't show up as revenue, but it does show up in cash, of course. So yeah. you may not notice that in a regular, on a, on a minimal model that block to build, which is just an income statement, but these are all important things. So you want to be able to test scenarios. It's difficult to do with a model unless you build it well, because you can't just change one variable in a scenario unless you built the model so that it reflects through a whole bunch of other things, which I, I would highly recommend. And I won't get into the details. Yeah, we would say at a minimum, you have your model, what you think is going to happen, your, your optorealistic look at the world, test it with a scenario that's far worse. You know what the downside is. You can also, for fun, look at it, like, what can really overachieve, in which sometimes brings its own set of other problems. But yeah, I think it's a worthwhile practice. And you may, in fact, have a slightly different version when you first go to investors. But generally, it's certainly a lot easier to maintain one model and one model you can play around with it, as opposed to having multiple models, especially when time passes and you're putting in real numbers from the past and having those flow into future numbers. It gets complicated when you have multiple models or multiple checks, matter. So easier to have one and, and the ability to test some errors on it. And then once these, okay, so then as an investor, what do you look for? What do you look for in a financial model? First of all, I look to see if they have a financial model. That's a check mark number one. But I want to understand that the entrepreneur really, they understand their business and they understand the levers that drive success. 
It's not just about can they predict a hockey or revenue, which of course every financial model will show, but do they know specifically what drives that? Are there KPIs in the model that makes sense? What records at a high level, I'll look at that and make sure that they understand what their, what runs their business and what success is. And again, just having it, I think you checked off a box and they get the plan. Well, maybe they understand the efficiencies of the company that they can manage resources, people, money, in some cases, other larger resources, full expenses. A little more specifically, I mean, I want to make sure there's sufficient growth. Investors are looking for growth. Once you bring in an investor, it's yeah. not just a pastime anymore or a lifestyle business. They're going to want to return. So I got to look at it. And of course, especially with technology companies, the most important thing is that there is sufficient growth to meet the returns that I as an investor really need. I want to look at it and make sure that there's sufficient resources to run the company. Generating a whole bunch of revenue isn't that useful if you don't have the proper support team and you're not spending the right marketing dollars to actually get there. So I'll look at it and make sure it's believable and real. I'm very curious to see if and when they are planning on running out of capital and if we have to raise capital again, how soon that is or how much it needs to be. I'll also want to know when do we expect the company to get to cash flow positive or all of these things you can get a model. I'll really want to understand how they're generating revenue, so what their revenue model is. Are we, are we selling widgets? Are we selling a service? Is it recurring revenue? You know, is the growth really generated by leads and marketing, referrals, et cetera? Well, and as mentioned, just, there's a lot of KPIs that we could dive into that I'd also be looking for. But on a high level, it's more about, do they really understand the business? Do they know the levers that are going to sell this business? understand how to efficiently use resources and they get to somewhere equal a milestone on the investment that they're asking for such that we could go back to the market if necessary and raise capital at a higher value. So, I mean, so as an investor, Jeff, when you look at the financial model, do you look at it and say, all right, how are you going to achieve these numbers? And you go to a granular level, like you say, how am I, how are you going to achieve these month numbers on a monthly basis, on a weekly basis? And then do you hold them to the fire? Do you say, all right, every quarter I'm going to be sitting on your board and I want to see if you're tracking to this or not. And if you're not, why not? Or if you're going well beyond it, what's the reason? Did you not accurately forecast? Yes. And yes. So, I mean. Initially, you're just going to look at their overall projections and their financial model at a high level and say, is this a good fit for me as an investor? I mean, there's lots of different companies and then there's lots of different types of investors. And you can often see at a pretty quick glance whether it's a good fit for you, the stage they're at, the money they need, et cetera. But passing on an opportunity might be a very decision. If you like what they're doing and you like the people and all of the other hurdles you want to get by to potentially make an investment, then yeah, you're going to challenge their assumptions. Because the investor, great returns are great, but you're managing risk. So you need to, you need to look at the details and say, okay, I, I see what you've predicted here. How are we actually going to do that? And is it believable? Do they have, what I like in a model is when they have the actual numbers for however long they've been a company or at least a couple of years that are actually part of the model and the predictions just flow from there. And if, you know, where they start forecasting, suddenly everything is two or three times as much. That's not really believable. There's a thing stakes high. 
you can have a great product, but you may have to hire and train salespeople and support people before. So I, I look at it and, and test it. And then uh, to your second question, am I going to hold them to it? Yeah, well, I'm hoping they're going to hold themselves to it because this is their measure of what they can do. This is their reputation. This is their success. They're going to be spending a time on it. So we have this shared model that we can both look at and they're working against. But whether I'm on the board or just an investor, hold them to it is, a, is an interesting term. I can't actually hold them to it. I can keep pressing them to refine how these other business works such that we continue to hit the numbers. And it's really hard to predict in early stage companies. So if we don't hit the numbers, well, let's at least look at it and say, why not? And what can we change, fix something? Or what do we need to change in our forecasting perhaps? Because that might be the answer too. Give me just forecasting wrong, which is fine. Everybody knows. Yeah. So let's fix the forecasting because we don't want to make another resource decision based on a bad forecast. And one other thing I'll say to that, I mean, occasionally, and this often comes down to a question of valuation, you might be making an investment company who has grand expectations. Perhaps even the structure of your investment has something to do with what the entrepreneurs said they were going to achieve. For example, I may not, I may make my investment in tranches and I'm not going to release the second tranche until you hit certain numbers or partnership or some major milestone, or maybe I'm issued more errors or options or warrants if you don't hit certain numbers because arguably it wasn't as valuable as you said it was if you don't achieve what's in the, in the model. So that is a very direct way of holding a piece in the fire, but either way, you're going to work with an entrepreneur and continually refine this process and say, okay, we, we either have to predict the future better and play around that, or we have to improve our practices and our resource allocation and more ideas of how regenerate leads and closings, et cetera, in order to increase our growth and likely both of those things, of course, and more. I mean, so what would you like if. When you look at financial models of startups or who have some kind of traction already, what are the biggest mistakes you see? What I find is it's in the cash flow. A lot of founders don't understand cash flow properly. They'll have this number that they're going to achieve in two, two years. And then my next question will be, well, how are you going to fund that? And you're going to run out of money a lot sooner than you think. I mean, do you find that's the case? Yeah, I mean, well, where do you believe the biggest sin of a startup is running out of money? You might have an opportunity, idea, a great business, but anyone can potentially run out of money if they don't manage it properly. The question you're asking is, what do I see as the big mistakes in the modeling? I think when people start building their own models, first of all, they just focused on income statement. So they will say, okay. You know, we're going to sell and we're going to sell at this price and here's what it costs us to make this and I got to hire some people and pay some rent and there's probably a lot of mistakes made in that as well. But at a minimum, people generally have an idea of how to do that and a good idea of what the business will look like. But when I see the models, they don't build in a balance sheet. Part of that is just not having the knowledge or the understanding and they probably don't have a proper cash flow analysis in there as well. So. As mentioned, there there are a lot of other things that can affect your cash flow that are not coming in on the income statement. 
such as deferred revenue, meaning you're getting paid for a year in advance and then deferring out revenue over a year, but you're getting cash up front. Depending on your business, you might have inventories, you might have a big gap between when you actually have to purchase and build a product and when you sell it. And then even a bigger gap is to when you collect the money. So accounts receivable, accounts payable, these can have massive effects on your short-term cash flow. So much so that you may run into trouble or conversely, you may actually have more cash in your disposal than you're aware of. And perhaps you shouldn't have gone out to raise that much capital or taken that loan. So that, those are some of the mistakes I see a lot is just not a complete picture of the business. And especially when it, when we're talking about cash flow, I'd also say that Frequently, people don't put in any of the history that just start up, okay, here we are today. I want to go investors, so here's where we're going to go. But I would highly recommend building history into the model as well, partly because uh, you're, you're going to want to look at KPIs over time. Especially you have a couple of years of maybe real KPIs that you're going to be flung into that data into the next month and the next quarter and the next year and allow you to build a better out of data to manage your own business whenever time. I mean, I, as the model itself, another problem I see a lot is uh, they just don't make them very flexible. So while hard coding a bunch of numbers, and then you can't change something without actually knowing where everything is hard coded. And even if you do, it's a huge effort. Yeah. Go and do that. So here it makes the spreadsheet a little more complicated than when you started, but a lot easier to manage up the formula for this month is the same as every month moving out to the right. The formula itself might be complicated and you might have a dashboard where you're changing variables, growth rates, et cetera, but the actual formula in the cell is spreadsheet at the same so that those no hard-coded numbers or things that you can't manipulate easily when, and especially when you get to adding more time onto the model, because as you say, these are living documents that go forever and you're only predicting you know, probably three years, three to five years, and you add more time to your model. I mean, what's the optimal time to predict out, actually? What do you like to see? Well, there's two answers to that question. I think entrepreneurs should have a very good understanding and view of the company, especially when it comes to cash flow for the next six months, pretty good understanding for the next 12 months, and a model that goes out of three years it gets pretty easy when you're at three years and I would say three to five years. I like to see them monthly, especially in the early days, because you know, with the early days with tech companies, cash flow problems wouldn't even be recognizable if you looked at a year at a time, but you never know when the dips and the increases happen and things change so rapidly. So, you know, I like the models at least as many years backwards as you can, it's meaningful, at least three years forward or five. <clears throat> recognizing you get three to five years out. Yeah, they're probably just formulas and who knows, but at least it gives you some overall picture, and especially for the investors. If we actually follow this path and put in the money that the model suggests and there's another round where I can measure how much would I be polluted? What would I expect this to look like in a few years? What would be what would an accident price be and how much did I make on investment? I like that as many years backwards, actually. That's very important. And in fact, that's even like I didn't even think of that myself. I think that's amazing that you're looking at. So 
whenever company, whatever companies you look at, you say, well, tell me what, even if they haven't raised any money and they've been, they've been bootstrapping it themselves, you say, give me the previous statements. Well, hopefully those are just months and years and quarters in the model. But yeah, I mean, if I'm going to make an investment, I'm going to look at their financials anyway for yeah. three months, years. But I prefer that it was a model. I mean, there's only so much you can do with a financial statement if you really want to look at the TIs yeah. over time. But also remember, my, my view is they shouldn't have built the model right from day one. And therefore, they and keep updating it monthly with what actually happened. So ideally, a company is neglecting this information in their model all along. But that's not frequently the case. Hopefully, they've been using books or something. I mean, it's pretty easy dump the historic information out of books and put it into your model. Yeah. So I highly recommend that. And then it's easier as time goes on to you and your management team or you and your investors to be looking at and manipulating a model. Because in the spreadsheet, you can do whatever you want and define whatever measure I like and put it around my spreadsheet. A little harder to do, impossible to do if you're just giving a financial statements. Hard to do it books unless you dump everything out and, and move it somewhere else. So that's the beauty of a model is you can glean a lot of information out from it by adding in, making a page in it of whatever KPIs you want, and those get automatically populated as data is added to the model, both historic and future. Okay, so I'm going to ask you a couple more things here. One is, you said earlier that you could quickly realize whether you're going to be interested in a company or you're just going to quickly pass on it. What is it that you see specifically that makes you make that decision? Well, I guess what I meant is an investor has usually, I mean, especially if it's a fund, they usually have a set of parameters that they've sold to their LPs, their investors. And this is the type of deal we invest in it. And we write checks of a certain size and we invest at this stage. So I meant each investor has their own parameters and usually there's not perfect communication between a potential investment investing company and the fund when they first meet. So you might find out it's not a good match. But when I mentioned that, I meant some obvious things are just, well, how much money do you need? Do you need to do multiple rounds? Have you already got investors? Because maybe I prefer to be one of the earlier investors. What stage are you at in your revenue growth? You can see these things quickly and make a quick no, or it's not a good, it might still be a great company but it doesn't fit my parameters. It wasn't specifically that my parameters are, I meant just any investor has their own set of parameters. And was, what do I like? I, I mean, I like companies at an early stage, probably before this venture capital or any institutional money, but they have third-party validation, which for me usually means they have some customers, although it could mean users or it could mean significant partnership, but I like fascinating technologies and be an expert on all of them, but if they have people who are buying them, buying the product and service, they probably know more about it than I do. So I'll look at the model. If it comes to me, it's probably not the first thing I'm going to see. I would see a deck that quickly determine, okay, how much money they need. Is this a very capital intensive company? Like we have to buy a lot of equipment to do what they want to do. We have inventory requirements. Is there a long process where they get the revenue? I mean, for me and for any other investor, there's some obvious things like I might quickly raise some red flags for you. Again, it doesn't mean it's a bad company. It's not necessarily great. 
Okay. I'm going to ask you one last question, Jeff. And that is when you go in when you're saying you go in at an early, you like to come in at an early stage and you know that there's going to be successive rounds of financing. So you're going to get diluted, but do you look for the stage that you come in at to be diluted at a minimal level, or you expect that it's going to continue to go and your value will keep going? So I guess it's a, well, that's not a yes or no question. So it depends also on my belief of the market size and how unique the, how unique and how valuable their product is. So might have a different view, but if a company I was convinced had a drug that would extend your life by a hundred years, well, yeah, it's going to take more money, but perhaps I'd like to be part of that part. Yeah. Or not. Yeah. Uh, then if it was a SaaS software company that is interesting, but not all that different than somebody else or has already built, and maybe it's a question of execution, then I'd like to see that it's not going to take a ton of money to get where we're going. We often, when working with companies, find out we are wrong. It is going to take quite a bit more money, and that's okay. These are the ones I'm looking at for me. It's just for me. Require money, otherwise they're probably going to be talking to them in the first place. Perhaps they're not really capital intensive and there's not going to be a whole lot of ground. I don't mind the dilution as long as we are moving up through significant valuation changes. We can continue to expand in a large market. Okay. That's great. So it all depends on the individual scenarios. Well, yeah. that's it for us. Yeah. We're out of time here. I really appreciate this, Jeff. I know we could keep talking about this. But then maybe we'll have another session at some time down the road. So once again, thank you for coming on. And that's Tech Uncensored for this Friday the 13th. We'll see you right. guys next week. Yeah. I didn't realize that. Thanks, yeah. Okay. Have a great weekend. Take you care. Bye-bye. Tech Uncensored, an Altitude Accelerator podcast, does not constitute a recommendation for any organization, product, or service. It's produced and distributed by Blue Max. For more tech and censored content, subscribe where you get your podcasts and visit bluemax.io to join us on Discord.